Psalm 25. To You, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in You I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for You will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know Your ways, O Lord. Teach me Your paths. Lead me in Your truth. And teach me. For You are the God of my salvation. For You I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, Your compassion and Your loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to Your loving kindness, remember me for Your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice and He teaches the humble His way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, or literally good, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will make them know His covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in You. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Fathers, we consider this psalm of David this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that the words, the instruction, the teaching, Father, would all simply be a tool, a vehicle, to draw us closer to you and into your heart, Lord. And may our lives be reflective of that. Lives lived out in the leading of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was originally a simple French folk song, A vous dirigez maman. I know it's a favorite of many of yours. It was first heard in 1761. Twenty years later, in 1781, Mozart made it famous, actually. He wrote it as part of his 12 variations on A vous dirigez maman. What are you laughing at? That's good French right there. Do you know the song? Well, Mozart wrote it when he was 25, but you probably learned it when you were three or four. It goes something like this. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. See, there you go. You know it. And you sing it all the time, don't you? I mean, who doesn't? When you're trying to figure out how to alphabetize something, who doesn't immediately start singing the song? Ow! That's it. Okay. And we all do that. We carry that song with us. Every language has its alphabet. And Hebrew is no exception. It's alphabet is what it's called in the Hebrew. And I start with this because Psalm 25 is listed as one of the nine alphabet psalms. 
Not because of the tune behind it so much, but because this psalm, you can't see this in English, but in Hebrew you would be able to know it. It's written in acrostic form, beginning with Aleph as the first letter of the first line, and running all the way down to the very last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Tav, which is the last line. Not all the psalms are written by this way, but several are. And it's interesting to note that it's a cleverly organized acrostic in alphabetical format. And yet, in spite of this, there are commentators who read this psalm and they say it's random. It's a song filled with arbitrary themes and ideas. It has no central theme or connection. There's just a lot of good ideas in it. The pulpit commentary says the psalm consists of a number of prayers, reflections, and pious exclamations not drawn up in any systematic order and not clearly connected by any single line of thought. I disagree. I think the guys who said that have been puffing on their pontificating pipes a little too long. (laughs) Guys sit back and they think, you know, it's amazing how quickly we think we know what the answer is. And clearly this psalm, though it has many good things, it has no central theme. Yeah, whatever. It's kind of like life. Many people think life has no central theme. We just have a series of random accidents and coincidences until we finally get to the end and try to figure out what exactly happened. And I disagree there as well because our lives have a central theme. Just like this psalm has a simple central theme, a specific theme that runs directly through it. One scholar wrote, some of the most precious spiritual treasures of the church have been drawn from this psalm. But this psalm has a specific thing that David is getting across. Actually, it's something David is praying for. It's a prayer asking the Lord to instruct us in the way. A prayer of instruction. A prayer saying, Lord, teach me. Lord, show me what I need to do. Lord, be my instructor. Look at verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. Back in verse 4. Make me know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. It takes us right back to that place we've talked about recently. We are in the season of the great shepherd who is leading us and feeding us and teaching and instructing, and this is what David is praying for in this psalm. Down in verse 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Praise God for that. He leads the humble, he teaches the humble, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Instruct us in the way. Teach us. Instruct us. And this immediately after graduation, I love how this psalm fell right here. Because of course in the Great words of that 20th century theologian Alice Cooper. (laughs) School's out for summer. School's out forever. Thanks for playing, Alice. School ain't out. It's just getting started. It is just beginning. Those of you who graduated high school and went on and began living life, you look back and you realize the real lessons... (laughs) they started to lay in after we got out of high school. After we were out of the security and the safety of the teachers and the boredom and the books and all the stuff, we got into life. And suddenly, all that we thought we knew, we didn't know. Suddenly we recognize, it'll take you guys about 10 years, but to recognize, you don't know what you think you know. I've been telling Hannah this for two or three weeks. She's not listening. (laughs) 
I sat there Wednesday night, and I watched Hannah and Kenny together walk and, and graduate. Hannah, my daughter, she's the second Crawford now to graduate high school. Thank you, Lord, for to go. <laughs> and as I watched Hannah grinning from ear to ear, man, I was just transported. You, you parents of graduates know this. I, I, went, I didn't just go to where she was. I went back 27 years to my own graduation. I'm sitting there just going, oh, so beautiful, I guess. As high school ends, serious life learning begins. And true instruction is a lifelong thing. But I'll tell you what, don't ever stop being a student. Don't ever stop seeking to be taught and led and instructed, not by all the tripe that sits on the bookshelves, in all the libraries of the world, in all the bookstores, never cease the instruction of the Lord. Because until you are in His presence, in heaven, at His side, you don't know all that you need to know in this life. David cries out, and by the way, I believe as an older man, a couple of assumptions we can make about this psalm. One, he's probably older. I'll tell you why in a few minutes. And two, he's clearly under some serious distress. There's some tragic thing happening and he's got opposition coming at him. But the beauty of this psalm is in the midst of the opposition and and the duress of his life, David wants to live the life he was meant to live. Even in the midst of attack, David's saying, Lord, instruct me. Teach me your ways. Show me your truth. Lead me in the path I should go because that was David's heart. I want to go your way, Lord. I don't even want this current distress to get me off track. I want to follow you down the path of righteousness. And David recognized the only way to do it is the instruction of the Lord. Let's walk this through. A few things about the instruction of the Lord I might have you note this morning. Beginning in verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. You know... If more often when people said, oh my God, they followed it with, in you I trust, the world would be a much better place. (laughs) Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Note that. In fact, that's worth underlining. None of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause, (laughs) they'll be ashamed. David, for all his greatness, had great enemies. Some of those enemies were from without, as in the Philistines. Some were from within, as in Saul in David's younger life. The king of Israel was against him. A large portion of Israel against him as they followed Saul, and the kingdom was, was having some trouble there. But then David comes into power, and suddenly he is now ruling over a united kingdom of Israel. Everything's good, and the worst opposition of his life occurs. What's that? His son Absalom goes after him. Perhaps you understand that. We learn pretty quickly in life that there's opposition from without, and big deal. You know what? Bring it on. Atheist anonymous who are not so anonymous who want to attack Christians, bring it on, man. People who believe differently, people who have attitudes against Christianity, hey, talk it up, man. Bring it on. We'll stand with the Lord. No problem. But when the opposition comes from within the church, that hurts. That's difficult. That's painful. Worse still is when the opposition comes from within your own family. That hurts. David knew all three of these, but what he knew was that the instruction of the Lord denies shame. 
Which is why he's seeking it, even now. If it is Absalom, if that is the problem going on, we don't know for sure. But if it is, even as David's own son is up against him, David's saying, instruct me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Why? Because the instruction of the Lord denies shame. Let me explain this. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Paul says, we exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And knowing that perseverance brings about proven character. And proven character? Hope. And Paul says, and note this, hope does not disappoint. You will not be disappointed if you seek the instruction of the Lord. You will not be disappointed if you walk the path that God leads you down. You will not be disappointed. And that's not my guarantee. That's God's guarantee. Hope does not disappoint, Paul wrote, because... The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope does not disappoint. I like the way the King James translates that. Literally, hope maketh not ashamed. That word disappoint, ashamed, is the same word in the Greek. Hope maketh not ashamed. You're not going to be ashamed if you put your hope in the Lord. Now I think a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of young people do. What if I put all my energy and emphasis into this Jesus, and I found out later I'm wrong. Or what if I don't have the right answers at the right time when someone questions me and I get embarrassed or ashamed? Hey, hope in the Lord maketh not ashamed. You will not be ashamed if your trust, if your hope, if your faith is in Jesus. This faith will not let you down. But are you among those who refuse to have spiritual conversations because you're afraid someone's going to ask a question you can't answer? You fear, what if they make a better point? (laughs) What if they say something that undermines my faith that I've always held dear? What if I don't have an immediate answer when somebody asks? And so I'm just going to zip the lip and keep it quiet. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study. Study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul would say, hey, if you don't want to be ashamed, get your nose in the word. Study the word. Know the word. Go back to the word. Anytime a question comes up that that rattles you a bit, get back into the word and study it out so that you know what you believe. Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And we hear those verses we go, Yeah, i got to study more. Yeah, i got to be in the Bible more. Yeah, i got to do that. And then a week goes by and two weeks and four. And I haven't been in the Word. And I realize I haven't. And I'm not studying to show myself approved. And I start to feel that weight of embarrassment. Hey, listen, hope maketh not ashamed. Those verses are not in there to shame you. You know why they're there? Completely different train of thought here, gang. We don't study to show ourselves approved so that we can fill our heads with defense. We study to show ourselves approved so that we can fill our hearts with hope. See, that's the thing. The more you're in the Word, the more your heart is filled with hope, the more your faith is strong, the more you know who God is and who Jesus is. And the less likely you're going to get rattled once. You know, someone asks me a question these days and I don't have the answer. I go, let me get back to you on that. But I know that I will have an answer. I know that I can answer. Maybe not today, and maybe not next week. But I know there's an answer here. Why? Because hope maketh not ashamed. Because I am not going to be ashamed. God isn't going to leave us hanging. In fact, He even says, listen, 
the Holy Spirit will give you the right answer at the right time in the right moment. You don't have to worry about that. Just, just walk in the Word. Seek the instruction of the Lord. Hope, the biblical definition of hope, best one I've ever heard, is the absolute expectation of coming good. And I'll tell you something, that will speak a lot louder than having immediate answers for people. Someone asks you a question, and you're able to say, I don't have the answer, but I will. Give me a a second. Well, how do you know you will? Because I know Jesus, and He's not going to let me down. And that speaks volumes to people where our words may not. Paul says, hope maketh not ashamed. David says, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. I don't always have the immediate answer, but I have the immediacy of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And I know He will not let me down. So God's instruction, which includes trials, tests, challenges, along with His Word, fills the heart with hope. That's why we study the Word. Please mark that. You don't study the Word to fill the head. You study the Word to fill the heart with hope in the Lord. Verse 4. David goes on and says, Make me know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths, and lead me in your truth, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day. Three times in this psalm, he's going to say, I wait, I wait, I wait. And David, as an older man here, is working out his faith in the Lord. He's still waiting on the Lord. He's still seeking the ways of the Lord. You know what this kind of workout is called? This is weight training. (laughs) And we talk about this all the time in here. This is not the first time we've talked about waiting on the Lord. Wait. Just wait. Be patient. Wait. And I think we need to understand that this expected, active waiting is not just sitting around. It's not waiting for the Lord. I, I know David says that. He says there in verse 5, for, for you I wait all the day. But it can just as easily be translated, on you I wait all the day. Well, what are you saying? True waiting is active. The verb, Donna showed this to me after first hour, the verb for wait, which I believe is kava in the Hebrew, I could be wrong on that, but the verb is used 50 times in the Scriptures. The verb, yeah, because it's active waiting. It's not sitting back waiting for the Lord to do something in the life. It's active, it's engaged, it's waiting on the Lord. You go to a restaurant... The server comes up and they wait on you. That's what we're talking about. The instruction of the Lord is deployed in service. You military uh, men and women, you know when you've gone out on your very first deployment, for all that you learned leading up to that, the real test is working it out in service. Right? You're doing the job. You're acting it out. If crisis comes and you deal with the crisis, all that training, all that really gets put to work, put to use, and really gets embedded in your heart and mind when you're in service. And this is so critical for us as believers in Jesus. This is how David lived his life. Deployed in service. Waiting on the Lord. Active in service to the Lord, for the Lord. Acts 13.36, Paul said this about David. He served the purpose of God in his own generation. And Cheryl, I want that on my tombstone. Okay? I don't want a tomb. Let's back up. I don't want a tombstone at all. I want to just fly. In case I happen to, you know, tip off before the Lord comes back on my tombstone. He served the purpose of God in his own generation. 
Well, that's great, Pastor. That's your job. No, it's your job. It's your job. It's all of us. This is our calling to serve the purposes of God in our generation, here and now, to be deployed in service for the Lord. That's what the instruction of the Lord does, and that's where it's worked out. And you might say, well, that's great for David. His heart was in it. And clearly, Rick, I can see your heart is in it. That's, that's wonderful. But I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I don't want to start serving or involving myself at church when I don't feel like it. I hate that. Well, I just don't feel like I haven't been called. Yes, you have. <laughs> and if you haven't heard it yet, here it is. You are being called to service in the ministry of this fellowship. Well, what do I have to do, Rick? We've got to sign up the sheets in the back. No. You ask the Lord what He wants you to do. But here's the thing. Nowhere in Scripture, mark this, nowhere in the Bible does the Lord say you've got to get your motives straightened out before you can serve Him. He says, serve. Come serve. And as we begin to serve the Lord, it's amazing our motives start to get straightened out. Cheryl and I didn't go into youth ministry because we had just a passion for teenagers. I was just barely out of being a teenager. I was still in that decade of not having a clue what I really was going to do with my life. And Cheryl and I were, you know, we were young, married, in college. Sunday mornings were a good time to go find a restaurant and just go on a date, you know, or sleep in. And we began to talk about this whole Sunday thing and realized we needed a reason to be at church. So we volunteered to teach middle school. Because middle school was first, Sunday school, and then church. So we figured, well, we're already there, so we'll stay for church. It was, I, I'm, I'm telling you, this is why I started ministry. was so that I would have a reason to have to get my body out of bed and into a church on Sunday morning. That's a lousy reason. It's not why I do it now. Because the service came first. And as I, it's amazing. I'm instructing middle schoolers and begin to realize God's instructing me. He's training me. Because the instruction of the Lord is deployed in service. And now, one of my favorite verses, you've heard me quote this many times, Matthew 24, 45, and 46. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Service. Basic service. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. So doing? So doing what? Waiting on the Lord. Serving his body, involved in active ministry, doing something for someone along the way, just as David did. Verse 6, he continues, he says, Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. David lists some character traits of the Lord here. He lists compassion and loving kindness or grace. He lists out goodness, uprightness. And it's interesting, he asked the Lord to remember his own character. Like God would forget. You know? The Lord's going to forget his loving kindness or his goodness or his, his very nature? Not at all. But here's the thing, gang. Number three, the instruction of the Lord depends on his substance. What do you mean by that? The quality of a teacher is not so much the content of what they teach as the character of who they are. What do you remember about your elementary school teachers? When you think back, do you remember the lessons they taught you? Or do you remember who they were? I remember who they were. First grade, Miss Basil. 
believed in me. I remember her gentleness. I remember her kindness. I remember her smile. And yeah, I remember the big bouffant hairdo. But I remember her. I don't remember what I learned in first grade. Not even a clue. Second grade, Miss Peacher. Another great teacher. Miss Peacher, the teacher. Who believed in me. And, and I remember good things about her. And then I got to third grade. And I'm not going to say her name because perhaps if someone ever... you know, Let's just call her Miss Kraut because she was sour. Right? We used to, we used to stand in line at recess and, and I remember her scowl. I remember those thin lips curled in that disapproving grimace on her face. And that tight bun of gray hair that was so tight it looked like her face was going to split right off her skull. That's what I remember. Because we remember character. And see, David's saying this. He's saying, Lord, Lord, don't remember me. Don't even remember what you've done for me. Remember your character when you look at me. Remember your loving kindness. And remember your grace. Remember who you are. David says, these character traits, Lord, they have been from of old. They're not new. They're ancient. They're eternal. This is who you are. And that's what I want you to think about, Lord, when you look at me. Remember your nature, God. The instruction of the Lord gang depends on His substance. It flows directly through He is. And it's who He is that changes what we are. 1 Peter 1.15 says, Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy. Why? Because I am holy. You see, it's God's character to be holy, so He calls us to the character trait of holiness. John said in 1 John 4.7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Character trait. God is love. Why does He call us to love each other? Because He is love. And He wants us to be like He is. So He says, be like me, love each other. In fact, every single good thing that God calls us to is just one of His character traits. The fruit of the Spirit... Describes the Father. It's all about Him. And that's what He's calling us to, to be like He is. And please note this, everything you ever learn about God, every single thing you're taught or you study or you read, it has to be filtered through the primary character trait of God's love. If it's not, you're not learning about God. He's vengeful and hateful. Not God. He's hard-hearted. Not God. He's exacting and demanding, not God. God is love. And you've got to start with that premise. As you read through Scripture, the flood. He destroyed the entire world. So He must must be vengeful and hateful. No. God is love. Well then, why did He flood the world? Well, you can work that out through the filter of His love. And it's a completely different story when you recognize it that way. Uh, You want me to tell you? Okay, I'll tell you real quick. (laughs) Why did God flood the world? Because if He hadn't, Jesus never would have come. And every single person who existed, who believed in God before the flood, would have gone to hell for all eternity, couldn't have been with Him. Think about that. He had to destroy the world so that He could save the line of Noah, ultimately through Abraham, ultimately all the way down through Jacob to Jesus Christ, who could then redeem those who had died in faith before the flood ever came. God is love. And you can follow this through in any and every story of Scripture. 
I digress. David says, Remember, O Lord, who you are. Now, here's where I believe that David was older as he was writing this. Because as a young man, David said in Psalm 7, verse 8, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity that is in me. And in verse 7 he says, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Don't judge me based on what I did as a young man, Lord. No. Remember your character. Remember your grace. Judge me by that. And you know, the more we grow in the instruction of the Lord, the more we recognize His gracious character is all we need to know. His character is the point. Verse 8, going on. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. Again, hallelujah. He leads the humble in justice and He teaches the humble His way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. I love that Paul wrote this to Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the chief. Paul says, I'm chief sinner. Big chief sinner. And there are days where perhaps you feel this way. Where I am vying for that position. I want to be big sinner man. I want to be the chief of all sinners. Well, why would you say that? Because look at how I've behaved that day. And you know what I'm talking about. Joe came into the elders meeting and, man, what a sinner. I'll tell you. <laughs> You're welcome, man. I got your back. No worse than me. Came in on Thursday and just said, man, it's been a rough day. It's just been one of those. I don't know. You know he wasn't out you know, doing bad stuff. But, but for Joe, it had been a rough day. And it, by, it was interesting. By the end of an elders meeting, he felt better. Which tells you who was there. We all have those days where we struggle. And David writes, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. What's great? His name or my iniquity? (laughs) Both. Praise God, His name is greater than my iniquity. The instruction of the Lord depends on His substance. It's deployed in service. It denies shame. Number four, and I love this, The instruction of the Lord is a dear secret. Verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. The Hebrew word for secret is sod. Sod literally means intimate counsel. People talk about this all the time. A relationship with Jesus. I just want to hang with the Lord. I want to be with Jesus. Be with the Lord. I want Him to be a friend and and, and companion and near me and around me. And that's the secret here that David's talking about. And note this, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him. What's that? The intimacy. The intimate counsel of the Lord is for those who Fear Him. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. Now you might say, Well, that sounds a little heavy-handed. You know? Fear me and I'll be intimate with you. I mean, what? Ladies, 
Who of you would have chosen your husband if he had said, now listen, if you fear me, I'll give you all the intimacy you need. Okay? You obey me. You do as I say. And then I'll, I'll talk with you at the end of the day. You know, blah, blah, whatever you need. Well, that's not the Father's heart. I, I want you to get this. God is not obligated to share His secrets with you. I mean, it's the arrogance of man that shakes his fist at the sky and says, God, you need to answer me. Hey, (laughs) he doesn't owe you a thing. He doesn't owe me anything. Unless we are interested in the single most important key to intimacy with God, what's that? Obedience. I would put that and rank that above all other things. You want to be intimate with the Lord Jesus. You want to be close to God the Father. It requires obedience. You've got to obey Him. Jesus said, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Love, that word of intimacy. Commandments, that word requiring obedience. You see, a secret always requires something of you. It requires you to keep it. Who, who among us would tell a secret to someone they know is going to tell everybody the first, you know, first person they see, Hey, Rick told me, blah, blah, blah. If I know you're going to spread all over town something that is personal and intimate, I'm not going to tell you. Secret requires the keeping of it, just as God's intimate counsel requires us to obey Him. John said in 2 John 6, This is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. But, listen, if we won't walk in His way, He will remove His counsel. What do you mean? You ever wonder why you're not getting anything from the Lord? You ever wonder why when you pray you're not hearing a thing? Why there seems to be no direction? Why you feel alone in, in your faith and, and in, your, in, this, in this life? No intimate counsel, no clear leading, no steps forward. Ask yourself this question. What was the last thing God told you to do? And did you do it? I'm normally about 15 or 16 things ahead of that one thing. I say, hey... You know, the Lord says, Rick, I, I'd like you to step forward and do this. I go, yeah, that's great. Boom. And I'm out asking for things way down the line, never having followed through on the one simple thing He asked me for in the first place. And perhaps the reason why, why we're not hearing anything is we still have something to go back and, and do. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about a legalistic uh, conscription to service that God's withholding. But if you're not going to trust Him in the things He asks you to do, why would He ask you to do more? Why would He give you more things if you're not following through in the little thing originally? I am um, I out, and recently after we were, we were married, we went to Target, and there picked up one of those big entertainment centers, you know, made of classic fiber wood. <laughs> and I put the whole thing out and got it out of the box and looked, we can do this. And I finished. And the bottom was backward to the top. So I thought, well, maybe I just need to go back to the very first instruction and follow those through. And that's what we're talking about. Following through with the first thing He said to do. And and is there something He told you to do, but you've forgotten because you're off doing other things already. Obedience to the counsel of God is simple. It's one instruction at a time. Just one at a time. Another way to look at it, obey for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. 
Don't worry about, you know, who's the future spouse going to be? Or what's about, what about my next job? Or what about my retirement? Or what about this, that, or the other? What about tomorrow? Hey, obey for today. I had a, a brother come to me last week. And after everybody left, we're standing here in the bar. And he said, I, I get up every morning and I have my breakfast. And I've got my laptop open. And I read the news for a few minutes. But then I'm out the door. And he said, I know I need to start with some Bible reading and some prayer. But I just don't have the time. And we talked about it. I said, you know, I actually do the same thing. i got my laptop open. I got my, and I have my little breakfast in my, my little corner of the world there. How long does it take to say, Lord, would you walk with me today? I mean, really? Is that so tough? How long does it take to just read a single verse? Well, yeah, and and we're talking, and this gentleman said, is that enough? You know, I mean, I want to allow more time. Listen, if you will start giving God 30 seconds in the morning before you leave the house, you will find yourself giving Him 3 minutes, and then 10 minutes, and then 15 And you will find yourself, if you invest in the instruction of the Lord, if you walk with Him, obeying just for today. I've shared this before. When your eyes open and your head is still on the pillow, just start the day by saying, Lord, I want to go with you today. Lead me in your way today. How long did that just take for me to say that? Five seconds? (laughs) Do you realize in the time it takes to pop a (laughs) Pop-Tart? You could read an entire Bible book. I mean, you know... It doesn't take that much. And sometimes we get all hung up about, well, I've got to pray, so I need time to do that. <laughs> i got to go. i got to go, Lord. He's like, go, go. Just give him your opening breath. Give him the first sentence. Give him a verse. Just that much time and you'll be surprised. Obey for today. Keep the dear secret of the Lord you've been given just today. All right, let's finish this thing up. In verse 15, My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble. Forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed. For I take refuge in you. Number five. The instruction of the Lord is a daily salvation. I'm not talking about the big picture of being saved for eternity. I'm talking about being saved every day from the stupid messes that we create. And if we are walking in the instruction and the intimate counsel of the Lord, guess what? We have a daily salvation from those messes. We have a daily rescue from the things that we would do that God says, No, 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 go this way. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Over here. A daily salvation. He wants to walk with you daily. Every moment of your lives. His, his teaching, gang, is not some vague spiritual exercise for churchgoers. It's not for the Wednesday night crowd. Oh, well, those people just like Bible study. I'm just not into it like them. Listen, His instruction is immediate. For your immediate life, saving me from the problems I create every single day. Listen to what David says. He says, my, he'll pluck my feet out of the net. Modern day translation, he'll pluck my feet out of the internet. (laughs) How many of you moms are spending so much time on Facebook, your kids are going, could we just have lunch, please? 
And it's four o'clock. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Well, I just got to post one more thing. I got one more game. I got to feed this fish. What? I, I don't get it. I do not understand. I'm on the farm right now. No, you're not. I didn't say your name, Laura. You know, here's the reality. We get sucked in. And the internet, for all of its value, is a dangerous thing. Because we're spending more time there. I'm not just talking about Facebook and playing games. I'm talking about time spent there that is drawing us away from the instruction of the Lord. How many of you dads late at night are there on the internet in places you shouldn't be? How many of you teenagers are visiting sites that the moment mom or dad walk into the room, you click delete. How's it going, dad? (laughs) No, I'm not doing anything. I'm just on Facebook. You're like, mom. (laughs) (laughs) He'll pluck my feet out of the net. Praise God. Pull us out of the net more often. I'm lonely and afflicted, David says. Anyone feeling that way today? Lonely? Afflicted? You need the instruction of the Lord today. Because my heart is enlarged. I know how that feels, by the way, physically. Twice my heart was enlarged. Twice I went to the hospital for that. Twice. And it was the most, I can't even imagine a heart attack. It was the most painful thing I've ever felt in my life. And David's saying, my heart is enlarged with my problems. I'm stressed. I'm worried. I, I don't see an end to this. He says, forgive my sins. How many of you are just ashamed of your past behavior? I say, Lord, forgive my sins. He says, my enemies are many. How many of you are tired of gossip and slander and people saying things about you that that just aren't true, people doing things to you that just aren't fair? What David is describing in these few verses here is the daily salvation of the Lord. This is everyday life stuff that all of us face. And David's saying, man, if we will be in the instruction of the Lord, walking on the path of righteousness for His name's sake, He will rescue us out of this stuff. I'll get there Wednesday night. No. How about tomorrow morning you wake up and you begin the day with the Lord and His instruction for tomorrow because Wednesday may not even come. And in verse 21 he says, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. More weight training. And you know what the instruction of the Lord does is we wait on Him every day. It initiates integrity And it upholds uprightness. Integrity, the Hebrew word there, is tamam. It means wholeness. It means what I say and what I do are the same thing. What I declare I believe and how I act, same thing. Wholeness. Who doesn't want to be whole? Rather than divided up like two or three people. I've got my Sunday Rick and my Wednesday Rick and I've got my Thursday night Rick and I've got my Monday morning Rick. I mean, how confusing is that? But to be whole, the instruction of the Lord does this. It upholds uprightness. I like the fact that the Hebrew word for upright here is yosher. And yosher also means straight. Straight. The instruction of the Lord keeps me straight. Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your paths straight. Same word, yosher. Uprightness, straightness. He'll keep you on the straight path. Hebrews 12, verse 12 says, Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet. How do I do that? The instruction of the Lord. Straight paths for your feet. So that which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. 
instruction of the Lord. It's a daily salvation. It's a dear secret. It depends on His substance, deployed in service, denying shame. We come down to the end of this and someone might still ask, why should I listen to the Lord? Why should I follow His instructions? And here's the bottom line. Go back to where we started. Just like this psalm, for many of us, it sometimes seems like things are random, but they're not. It seems like things are disjointed. They're not. There is a theme running straight through the middle of every single one of our lives. And we attempt to alphabetize and organize and structure our lives, but they seem haphazard. They're not. And when you feel that way, when you feel like you don't have the answers and you're, you're struggling, and, and like some commentator said about this psalm, it's just random. If you're feeling random, stop and go back to the ABCs. Get back to the basics. Stick to the primary theme. What's the theme? Notice how the psalm ends. Redeem Israel, O God, out of his troubles. Now that can seem a little random because the whole psalm, David's talking to the Lord about himself and suddenly he says, oh yeah, and (laughs) take care of Israel too. But it's not random. Because in this time, whatever's going on, whether it's Absalom or not, the kingdom is in trouble. And as David is praying for the instruction of the Lord for himself, he also says, Lord, redeem Israel out of all his troubles. Historically, David's worried for the whole country. But there's more than history going on here. Because whatever was happening at the close of this alphabetized acrostic prayer for the instruction of the Lord, David applies the final letter to the redemption of Israel. Don't miss this. The final letter. In the Hebrew Aleph Bet, the final letter is Tav. Now those of you who were with us in the Job study, you know something about the letter Tav. Job 31-35, Job said, this is my signature, but it wasn't the word signature, it was just Tav. For the Tav, in the ancient Hebrew script, was a cross. Okay, that's just coincidental. Really? Redeem Israel, O God. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all His troubles. The Redeemer of Israel is the running theme of history, and that is Jesus Christ. The Redeemer of your life and mine is the running theme of our lives, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who brings redemption. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Back in Isaiah 44, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. You could say the A to the Z, the Aleph to the Tav. I'm the first and the last. There is no God beside me. Wait a minute. Paul says Christ is the Redeemer. Isaiah says God is the Redeemer and there is none other. So what does that tell us about Christ? What you know already that He is God in the flesh. God among us. God the Redeemer. He is the first and the last. And that reminds me of another letter, not in Hebrew, but in Greek. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay, God says that. Where's Jesus? Well, Jesus says that. 
Well, is this God talking or is it Jesus? Yes. And Jesus says this in Revelation 22, 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And in both places, oh, that we knew Greek. Because as we're reading it, we would see something interesting. Each letter in the Greek alphabet can be written out. You know, Alpha, A-L-P-H-A, or that's our Englishized version of it. Lambda, Phi, P-H-I, you know, they're all words as well as letters. And here, John writes out the word, I am the Alpha. He writes it out, A-L-P-H-A. I am the Alpha and the... But when we get to the word Omega, it's not the word Omega, it's just the letter Omega. Same in Revelation 22.13. Why does he do that? Because in the Greek mind, the word omega spelled out means the end, but the letter omega is like to us the sign of infinity, meaning eternal, meaning forever. I am the first, I am the alpha, and the forever is what Jesus says. I am the always. I was, I am, I will forever be. Why should I listen to the instruction of Jesus? Because from Aleph to Tav, from A to Z, or Alpha to the single letter Omega, Jesus was there before you, Jesus is there waiting for you, and Jesus will be there with you for all eternity. He is the Redeemer. I shared first hour, there are a lot of times when I study through something and I come to the end of it and I go, well, that's, I mean, it's interesting and it's biblical, it's good, but I'm not sure what the point is. Well, what, what are you trying to say to us, Lord? Is there something specific? And during communion, this morning, first hour, I'm sitting over there and I go, oh, <laughs> ah, I get it. I understand. Why this teaching on instruction? Is it so we can get more people there on Wednesday nights? Is it so we can get more people studying the Word of God? More students? No. Why didn't God just give us all the answers when we gave our lives to Jesus in the first place? I'll tell you why. Because we need Him. If if He gave us all everything right at the start, we wouldn't need Him anymore. Okay, thanks God for that and we'll see you in heaven. But you see, I need every moment of every day, every breath that I take, I need the instruction of the Lord to get to the next step. God wants us to need Him. Why? Because He wants to be with us. I know it's a bizarre thought. He wants to be with you. And one of the ways that God provided for this was He put His Word out there and He said, okay, I'm going to put you in this world and I'm going to let you see where the best instruction comes from. And the more you come to me, the closer we'll get, the tighter our relationship, the greater your hope. It is all about being with Jesus every day. That's what He wants. What do you want? David said in Psalm 145, verse 2, Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Father, every day, We pray that You will instruct our lives and our hearts. We pray that You will, Lord, draw us into those places where we are waiting to hear from You. Where we're asking, Lord, for the next step. Where we, again, open our eyes and just say, Lord, today, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Every day, Father. 
May we be a people who moment to moment are just living by your instruction and not out of our own heads or the instruction of so many other people who haven't made it any better than we have. May we live by your instruction, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.